Welcome to City Life Church Podcast. Our desire is that all may come to know Christ and fulfill their purpose in life. We welcome you to head over to our website for more information. God bless you and enjoy the message. Thank you very much. How are y'all doing this morning? Very good. Everybody good? Now I just be thinking sometimes at the beginning of a year, here it is, 20 days into 2019. And God is still consistently good to me. I think that's worth some praise, right? Uh, that he kept me all through 2019, and certainly he did marvelous things. But he didn't change with the new year. I think that's a good thing, don't you? Amen. So I'm glad to see you today. I hope that you don't mind participating with me. Is that okay? You know, i like for you to talk with me. I'm, I mean, I can't do it without you. Is that all right? So uh, take a deep breath, get your nerves up. I want to ask some questions and have you talk back with me. Is that okay? You good? Uh, Most of the things that uh, we're going to talk through in the Bible, I'll share a verse with you and some thoughts, and then I just want to hear your thinking. And one reason I want to hear your thinking today, because as I was preparing for this message, I got very confused. Pastor Steve says we are talking about generation influence, and I didn't know what he meant, and I didn't ask him. That could mean a lot of things, right? Generation influence. So I did some thinking about it, and because I didn't land anywhere specifically, I want your help thinking through it too, all right? First of all, last time I was before you, I talked about growing love. Do you remember that, some of you? That love must be a continuous message. And when Pastor Steve talked about generations, I thought, okay, so okay, that might be something. God's love, if it's real, would have to continue over generations. Is that right? Couldn't just be true now. If it's real, it will have to be true in every generation. Would you agree? All right. So anybody experienced God's love in 2019 yet? Okay. So far, so good, right? All since the beginning of time, God's been demonstrating his love, and I wanted to kind of investigate some things with you, if that's okay. So first of all, if you have a Bible, I want to look first at Psalms 100, just as a way to get us started into it, and then I want to ask some questions to kind of help you think with me, if you don't mind. Psalms 100 and verse 5. Now, we, most of us who've been in church a little while, we know this one pretty well, but I wanted to concentrate a little bit on verse 5 just to kind of get us started. So, would you read it? Since it's up here, this is the way we can read it together so we all have the same version. Is that okay? So we can be on the same page. Would you read that out loud for me? Now, that was pretty exciting when I started thinking about generations. I saw the word generation there, but that was pretty good. But it says some pretty important things about God. He is good, that he has an unfailing love that continues how long? Forever. And that his, here it says, his faithfulness continues how long? To all generations. And so I want to kind of lay that thought out there as we kind of think through this, all right? So when I hear a generation influence, I heard a couple things it could be. I'm not sure which one Pastor Steve had in mind, but I heard a couple things it could be. So I wanted to ask myself and you about that statement. So the first thought I had was, okay, so if you say that generation influence and generations, I want to pass on things on to the next generation, to me that sounds like a bunch of old people is going to talk to young people about what to do. 
And to young people, I don't know how that would be exciting, right? Is that okay? Young people don't want to sit down and just have a bunch of old people tell them what to do. And that's what generation passing on generation stuff sound like sometimes. So I'm not going to do that with you. So in the world, you got what they call a generation gap. Pastor Steve went over some of the generational titles, traditionalists and baby boomers. What else was there? Generation Y and Generation X, right? Millennials. And Pastor Steve said, by the definition he read, it wasn't his, he, someone else had also said this, that I, because I was born in 1963, am part of the baby boomers generation. My problem was, I sit there thinking, I know nothing about 46 to 64. I didn't have any activity or memory before 63, and I had none at 63. I didn't actually start participating with life until sometime about 67, 68 that I remember. Is that right? So I wanted to, how was I a baby boomer? I'm not a baby boomer. So when he asked that question, I answered it out loud because he, he was talking about tradition. He was asking young folks. I figured I'm a generation X. I can say something. Right? So I wanted to know from you, if you don't mind, to help me. What is a generation? 100 years, 40 years. What did I hear something back there? 30, 45? So are you saying a generation is defined by the number of years? Yes. Okay. So Melody says it's a group of people that is influenced by events. Okay. Are you in agreement? You have another thought about what a generation could be? Family. Give me more on that. Okay, so father, and then when the son is born, he's another generation, okay? Because I know that's not 100 years, <laughs> right? I mean, hopefully. It was for Abraham. It was for Abraham, all right, but not for me, right? Right, and I talk to my son. They do call me old just because I was before them, and they don't even, they don't even know I was a teenager. That's just amazing to me. Okay, but what else? Generation. What else is it? Okay, you like 80s music. Yep. You know, I do a lot of reading about the mind. I want to suggest something real quickly as we, before I put what I think my d definition is. I want to suggest that the limitations of a person's mind is the biggest challenge you and I live with. Limitations of your mind is the biggest challenge you and I live with from generation to generation. The way you think come from the experiences you've had, the things you've seen, the failures and things you've been through or the successes you've had, and it come from the teachings of your parents and the teachings of your school and the way you were raised within your culture and the way you were raised within your generation. And those things shape your thinking. Is that right? And all of a sudden, you and I take ownership of that stuff without really knowing how it limits our thinking. So I have a definition of uh, generations I want to put up here. And uh, hopefully uh, you can read. So first of all, generations, in Tony's opinion, is God's means of delivering his promise over time. When God said to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and he made a promise to Abraham, Abraham would not live to see the whole thing. But God would deliver on what he said. But if Abraham didn't understand that he's going to deliver it over time, Abraham would have been frustrated. Does that make sense? But Abraham had a confidence that Abraham said, well, he promised it, and Abraham did see the promised land, 
but he was not established in it. Is that right? But the Bible continually says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And you and I, according to Romans, are living off of the promises to Abraham. Is that right? In other words, God is still doing what he promised to do to Abraham. Does that make sense? All right, it's going to do a little more in a minute. Next one says what? I got another couple of definitions. Generation is a means of understanding and learning to trust God. Remember Psalms 100? We read that. How good he is. How faithful he is. You know, you can't trust God as faithful if he don't prove it consistently over time. Just like I can't prove that I love you if the message is not consistent over time. Does that make sense? God uses generations sometimes to show us his eternal, everlasting qualities. That's why it's important for you and I to know he's the same today. So it is him teaching us to live confidently in his power that he's expressed through his word. Does that make any sense so far? Now, Tony, I looked up the, I had to go to the dictionary because uh, I get so confused sometimes. So I looked up the definition of word, W-O-R-D. Does anybody know what a word is? If you were to give me the definition of word, what is it? W-O-R-D, you live by his word. What does that mean, W-O-R-D? Just your thoughts on it first. What would it mean? If someone said, hey, Josh, give me the definition of word. What is a word? What would you say? Okay, like power. Okay, okay. Now, I want you to notice, too, before I go on, Josh's definition of word is by his experiences of word. Go ahead, Onesimus, what do you say? It's a combination of letters with a specific meaning. I like that. Yes, sir. A symbol of letters that you use to code what you, meant, what you intend to share, what you're trying to communicate, that's transferred so someone else could decode it. Man, that's good. Yes. So word, you're saying one definition of word. If your word is a promise, then the word, word means promise. I give you my word, which means I give you my promise. That's good. Yes, sir, Al. Expression of myself. That's very good. Yes. So the words that you speak are, you say, an insight to who you are. Man, that's good. When you think about God's word, isn't that good? Some of these definitions. When God says, I give you my word, he's not saying, I gave you the Bible. Because at some point in history, they didn't have a Bible. But he did give a promise, which was his word. He did give an oath, which is his word. He did give a command, which is his word. He did tell us about himself, which is his word. He expressed his nature and his character, which is his word. So if I'm going to trust in his word, I trust in his nature and his character. I trust in his command. I trust in his promise. I trust in his oath. I trust in his expression of who he is. Does that make any sense? Does that make sense? As I looked at generation influence, I asked myself, what does it mean? Here's another one. Generations, I think, I think Melanie sort of said this. Generation, I think, is not only the people, but generation, I think, is the prevailing knowledge, understanding, abilities, beliefs, express the morality, ideologies, technology, and social norms characterized by the people of that time period. 
It's not in the dictionary like that. Tony made that up. What do you think? Think it's good? I think it can be seen as people. You can draw the lines at people. You can draw the lines at age. But I wanted to think about how does God see it? When Adam was around, whatever Adam knew, whatever Adam understand, whatever Adam believed, whatever Adam knew and did, his current technology was a part of his generation. But what Adam knew was not all of it. God was bigger than what Adam knew. God was much more than what Adam knew. God wanted to do and go beyond Adam. Adam could not have known God fully in his lifespan. So God wants to take what he showed Adam and build on that Cain and Abel for Noah, for others. Does that make any sense so far? So I start thinking if, if I could use this definition of generation, then what happens is what I've learned what I've seen, what I've experienced, what I've heard, what I've been taught threatens what I know about God. That's right. Because if you grow up in your generation, you're liable to think that what's happening in your generation is true. So I came up with another puzzling question for me. I wanted to know generation influence. It could mean, that's a question. Let's put that question up. It could mean that Generation is how the current technology and things affect people, or it could be either one of these. So I want to know which one you think it is. Which one is more in line with God's will? People are shaped and identified by the prevailing ideals, norms, technology, and beliefs of their time, or people shape and influence the beliefs, the ideals, the technology, and norms of their lifetime. Which one do you think is more in line with God's will? B, why? Say, you saying God is wanting people to shape their lifetime? Come on, help me think through it. Why do you think which one is true? Man, that came to your mind. Romans, we're not supposed to be conformed to the world. So many times you read that verse and go, we're not supposed to be conformed to the world. That means don't drink, don't smoke, don't eat. But what about this? You're not supposed to be conformed to the world looking at that view, that your generation is not supposed to shape you. Yes, Melody. A is in play. People are shaped and identified that prevailing norms, ideals, technology. But B is what you do with it. People are supposed to use that and go shape it. Very good. We have to now think because we grew up in an age with different technologies and norms and times. We have to decide what we're going to do. Are they going to influence it or not? I love it. That's why I bought the question to you. Yes. Tell me more. The definition of generation could just as easily be the, generation, the definition of culture. We're supposed to be shaping our culture, not being shaped by it. Let me hear you real quick. So that is happening individually, no doubt about it. And Jeff said culturally then, and I think I hear you saying that we're supposed to then take that as a group collectively and do be. Would you all agree? Are we doing that? Okay, you don't have to answer that right now. We want to. You've seen it. You've, you've seen the teachings shape the culture of that time. Yeah, I'm with you. I saw that stuff like that, too. And sometimes I watched it happen, and I went, God, what's the world coming to? In so many words. You ever done that? So when I look at this definition, the question was, which one do you think is in line with God's will? And I do understand that this is happening to us. But is it God's will that it happened to us? So now I want you to think about God's will. Because I think one of the limiting thoughts we have in our world, watch me, is that there are things going on we can do nothing about them. And I'm sorry when I hear that in church. Yes. 
that I can't do anything about it, that this is just the way the world is, and we can't do anything about it. I feel terrible when I hear that in a family. This is the way it is, and I can't do anything about it. I feel terrible when I hear that in a community or school. This is just the way it is. When I believe God has demonstrated over time his power to do something about it. But in the 21st century, are we passing on the right things to the next generation? So there goes my next question. Hey, what should we be passing on? Should be passing on our passion for Christ, kingdom culture, his word that we've got hidden in our heart, his love. Now, I went through some of this. I didn't come up with those, but I came up with a few, and I got confused. It might be difficult because I confuse myself pretty easy, but let me tell you how I got confused. I got confused because I said this to another Christian, and then I didn't understand what they meant by what they said. They said the same thing I would say, but they didn't mean the same thing I, I would mean. Pastor Steve told me we're going to talk about generation influence. I, know, I don't know what he meant, but I do understand the phrase. What I did was took his words and inserted my own meaning to it and thought I was in agreement. You ever do that? You ever take the word of God or something you've heard and then because you understood the words to some level, you insert your own meaning? Do you know the church has offended a lot of people by doing that? How many of you know that? That some folk don't even want to come to church because of what they think you mean by what you say. And you're saying the same thing the Bible says. I'm supposed to love everybody. And they go, okay, I've seen your love over time, and I'm not sure. That's me and you. We have to do something about it. Someone says, okay, we're supposed to pass on, we're supposed to pass on our love for God. What does that look like? What does it mean? Forgiveness. We pass on forgiveness. Loving everybody. I asked you when I talked about growing love, how is your love different than the rest of the world? The rest of the world has the Red Cross, feed the dogs, save the trees, deliver toys on Christmas. The world got that. What's different than you? The Bible says we're supposed to be known by our love. Our love is supposed to be visibly different than everybody else's. And if the world can't tell the difference between me and you, I think there's a problem. I don't know about you. This is why I didn't come with something concrete. I wanted to ask you questions because <laughs> I'm trying to work through it. So think about it. If you were in a relay, running a relay race, you know what I'm talking about. You can't win the race if you drop the baton. Is that right? You could be really fast and get there first, but you can't win without the baton. The baton is really important in the race because it spans over generations. You and I have been charged with passing the baton adequately and accurately for the next generation. Is that right? You can't afford to drop the baton. If you drop it, you can't run without going back and pick it up. Would you agree? Otherwise, no matter how you ran, so, no matter how well you ran, so, no matter how fast you were, so, could have been a record if you'd had the baton. What's the baton for the church? Here's my challenge, and I hear you, but here's my challenge. We would say things that are commonly maybe jargon for us, but do we really know 
what it is we should pass on. Let me show you confusion. Tony had this confusion. I remember the day in church when women couldn't wear dresses. Couldn't wear pants, rather. Yeah, dresses. <laughs> pants. I remember the day when they couldn't wear pants. And people were adamant about those things. And there was a lot of other things they were adamant about, right? Hair. Couldn't cut your hair and whatever else. Makeup. You remember those days? Was the church passing on the right baton? They did it in the spirit of holding fast to what they thought was right. That's how the Pharisees got started, too. They weren't bad people. They were people trying to hold on to what God had said throughout their culture, right? You don't have to be a bad person to mess this up. You just have to hold on tight to everything you think God said. But you can hold on so tight that you hold it on to the wrong thing. When I thought of generations, I thought about Israel. And without doing a lot of history, part of the story was they, God delivered them from Egypt, right? Wanted to bring them into the promised land. Is that right? And the reason I thought about Egypt, because the Bible says in Hebrews, there was a generation that couldn't go in because of their unbelief. And God waited 40 years for that generation to die to take the new people in. The new people went in, and they inherited the promised land. But those people could not achieve all God wanted them to achieve as a young generation because they too were missing something, and eventually they all lost the promised land. One generation, according to Hebrews, heard the word of God, held on to it, but didn't hold on to it in faith. One generation had faith to go into the promised land, but lacked the discipline necessary to really conquer it and possess it. And I thought, wow, God, that's a generation gap. I also thought about this. God wants to expand the life of believers. God's not mad at computers and cell phones. They're not evil. The Bible says, I was talking to someone about this, I thought it was really mind-blowing to me because I never thought about it before. In Revelations, he says, when Jesus comes, every eye will see him. I thought that's going to be a big, big, big Jesus. For me to see him in Arkansas, where I was then, and someone else in China see him at the same time. But now technology allows that. Now everybody can see him at the same time because of cell phone and Wi-Fi technology. You think God is surprised? I don't. I don't think the technology is evil. I don't think growth is evil. I think sometimes God's people hold on to the wrong stuff. God told them when they got into the promised land, go and subdue it. Take all of it. Is that right? They took the easy parts. They took the flat land. But when they wanted more, they were unwilling to go up into the hill country and do any different. And eventually, they settled where it was comfortable and lost it. Hmm. I got to thinking to myself, generation influence. I think generations are supposed to influence. Generations are supposed to influence other generations. But I think every generation is supposed to influence the world. But if generations don't start thinking about how and what we have that really is worth passing on, we'll just be a part of the world and maybe absorbed by it. I want to suggest to you a couple of things I think are the things we're supposed to pass on. The way I want to do that is I want to, I want to tell you this statement, and this was a surprise to me, and then I want to hear what you think. I was so surprised when I thought, Tony, how crazy of you. There's only one immutable thing in all the universe. That was the thought I had to myself. What do you think? There's only one immutable thing. I hold on to 
boombox time periods like it's supposed to be an immutable thing. I hold on to women need to wear dresses instead of pants like it's an immutable thing. I hold on to things that I'm used to like they are immutable. Scientists have said this. I don't know if this is true or not. They said it. It sounds pretty good to me. They said all the universe is made up of two things, matter and energy. I don't know if you agree there or not, but it sounds pretty good. What do you think? I don't know. I said if that's true, I could use that. If the whole life is made up of matter, matter are things of fact, things of reality, things that do exist, that's matter. They're there, they're reality, you can't change them. But science says you can take any matter and apply energy to it, and you can change that matter by the energy you apply to it. Don't grade me now because I flunk science, but that's what they said. Do you think that's true? Anybody think that's true? Okay. So what happened to you is a matter of fact. What you're dealing with now is a matter of your life experience. What you've been through and how you see it is a matter of your perspective. How the world is right now is a matter of opinion. What's good and bad is a matter of perspective. What you think is a matter of what you know, but applied the right energy to it, all of that can change. Now you're sick. That might be a fact, but if you apply the right energy to it in the right amount, you could change that. If you don't like the world you live in, the way it is is a fact, but you can change that fact if the right energy could be applied. What do you think? True? You in agreement? I'm about to challenge you. God is spirit. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. I said to you, the challenge for us is to trust God's power, to believe in the word of God, his promise, his instruction, cooperate with his principles, his statutes and his commandments. Is that true? That's what we're called to do. And if you believe God and trust God, you can impact your world. Am I right? If you believe and trust God explicitly, you now shape your culture. You now influence your generations. But if you sit back and let things happen, you're not applying the right energy to it, the right amount of energy to it, then everything just happens to you. But I think what God has done is called the people of God to not sit back and let life happen. I think he's called the people of God to engage life fully. I think he's called the people of God to believe that you can make a difference, to believe that you matter to believe that what you bring to the table is worth bringing to the table and bring it with everything you got because you know it'll work. I think he challenges us with that. And I think what he does for us is say, listen, am I God? How do you say I'm limited to your situation? Haven't I proven that over time that nothing stops me? That I'm not limited to your situation? Anybody know that? So he calls us, I think, in the 21st century to bring that together as a body. The experiences, the confidence, the understanding and the knowledge of the word of God that you believe and where you don't believe to come sit down and learn what God says so you can insert that into your beliefs and begin to trust him more. What do you think? I want to show you a couple of more scriptures. Would you look at Hebrews with me? It's probably not on the screen. I don't know if he got a chance to do it. Hebrews chapter 6. This is verse 18. Got it? Would you read it with me? What are two things God has given us? And why did he give them to us? 
so we have confidence and hope, so that we would have confidence and hope. God gave his promises and his oath. God swore by himself, because there was nothing greater to swear by, so you and I could have confidence. There's only one immutable thing. Here it mentions two, his confidence, I mean, his promise and his oath. So God not only does make promises to us, tell us what he wants to do in our life, but he swears by them on his own name to give an oath for it, a promise, a handshake, my word. I give you my word. And the question is whether or not we believe him enough to be confident. You see, confidence and trust is established over time. It's not in a moment. It takes time to build confidence and establish trust. When you are in a difficult situation, you have to lean back on God's confidence and promises he made confidently. You have to begin to recite for yourself what he's already promised and the oath he made to you confidently. And I don't care what it looks like. I don't care what it feels like. God has the power to change it if he can work through you. Does that make any sense? Faith is not the absence of feeling afraid, but it's the willingness to go forward in spite of fear and stand on the promise. Does that make sense? You and I are challenged in great ways. Man, there's a lot of things that limit my thinking that I have to work to get past it. And the only way to break those barriers is to find the Word of God and implement the Word of God and believe God because He told me, do not be conformed, be transformed in my thinking. Most of my problems are no more bigger than my thinking. And if I let God change the way I think about things and apply the Word of God to a thing, I think God can change it. What about you? I think God has called City Life Church for that reason, to bind together for that purpose. I think God has called us to trust his word so we can pass that on so that no matter how the next generation starts, they build on his word. I think we hold on to the wrong stuff sometimes. We think the thing that we see is immutable. An example would be the man by the, way, by the pool who laid there for 38 years thinking the pool was going to heal him. God did heal people through the pool, but they made the pool the thing rather than the God of the pool. Does that make sense? Prayer is very necessary, so don't get me wrong right here. Prayer is very necessary, but everybody don't have to pray like you. But we have a way of making people feel like if you don't do it this way, it's wrong. And it's not the way I do it. That's not the main thing. We get sometimes caught up in making the thing immutable. The way God is doing it and the way it's always been done and the way I'm used to it and the way we've always seen it and the way we've always interacted with it, that's not immutable. That thing changes over time. When they invented the boom box, they were not trying to invent a boom box. They were inventing portable music. The guy who invented the telephone was not trying to invent something for you to sit at home and talk on. He did that trying to get his wife to hear and God used it so we can communicate throughout the world. Does that make any sense? Somebody said to the Wright brothers when they were trying to invent the plane, they said this it was a Christian thing. They said, listen, Wilbur, Oliver, if God had meant people to fly, he would have given them wings. That's holding on to the wrong thing. I hold that culturally, experientially, through our teachings, through the things we've seen and heard, we end up holding on to the wrong things. I don't get to tell my children what they should be because daddy was a carpenter, you need to be a carpenter. I don't get to tell my children that wearing jeans or shorts is wrong. That's not what I'm supposed to be doing. 
I'm supposed to be teaching them the immutable thing because only one thing is immutable. Malachi chapter 6 says, God changes not. God is the immutable thing. God is the thing that never changes. His will, his nature, his character, his person, his intentions, his actions towards us, they never change. His goodness is always. His mercy is enduring. His faithfulness goes from generation to generation. And I think in some sense, that's the only baton we're supposed to tell. That doesn't, listen, I'm not in Bible study, so I don't have time to go deep, so I don't get wrapped up in this. I know there's more to carrying it out than these simple words. But the essence of it all is the nature, character, love of God for humanity. You and I are supposed to spread that. And I want to show you this last scripture, and I'll be done. This is Psalms chapter 78, verse 1 through 8. I think God is looking for a generation who says there's hope for the world, and we can make a difference. You can't make a difference in the world unless you and I start to use and exercise our faith in the small circles we work in every day your community, your family. You don't have to accept the way things are. God can make it different. It may not show up different in the moment you're in, but God still changes it. He uses time. You can't say a thing is faithful unless it's endured over time. And your testimony about God cannot be based on what you experience in your right now. God delivered my family from poverty and, and, and limited thinking in Arkansas, not because my mom got out, not because my sisters got out but because I got out. God can deliver your family if you're out because you reach back to them and you tell them regardless of how I started, God's good. I didn't have to make up for my mess ups. He was merciful. Merciful means how he acts on my behalf even when I'm not thinking about it or deserve it. It means that God comes to the rescue. I don't have to wait till you call him. I don't teach people that when you're in trouble, call. I tell them, Listen, every cry, every tear you shed is a call out to a God who can help you if you listen and respond. When you're hurting, God's looking to rescue you. And I think if we own that as a church, we'll get creative. Young folks bring creativity. Their minds go beyond where mine goes. I cannot determine what the church is supposed to do right now with just a bunch of old people. The only thing we're going to come up with is what we know. I need someone who can understand the assembling of the gather of the saints in the age of technology. Because God will reach the world. He don't want to just reach city life. I love city life, but it can't stop right here. God got so much more he wants to do. Eyes have not seen. What that means is right here at city life, I hear your stories. I understand your faith, but that's not the limits of it. There's much more God wants to do. He's asking and calling you and I to get involved. Bring your creativity and your energy. Sit with older people and plan and strategize. How do we take the city? I don't want to just give out toys. That don't take the city. It just opens a door. But God wants to take the city. Psalm 781 says, Oh, my people, listen to my instructions. Open your ears to what I'm saying. For I will speak to you in a parable. I will teach you hidden lessons from the past. Stories we have heard and known stories our ancestors handed down to us we will not hide these truths from our children we will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord about his power his mighty wonders for he issued his laws to Jacob and gave his instructions to Israel he commanded our ancestors to teach them to their children 
so the next generation might know them, even the children not yet born. And they will, in turn, teach their own children. So each generation should set its hope anew on God, not forgetting his glorious miracles and obeying his commands. Then they will not be like their ancestors, stubborn, rebellious, and unfaithful, refusing to give God their hearts. Would you stand with me? Hearing the word of God is nothing. So what? You heard a good message. It means nothing. Your life doesn't change from hearing. You get new information. But if you don't act on that information in faith, you may as well not have been here at all. Now, I'm not saying that you have to do anything particular today. But if you don't take the word of God and use it in your life from this day forward, your life just continues to repeat the same cycle it's always repeated. And maybe that's good to you. But I hold that the word of God is not trying to make us maintenance people for our life. The goal is not to maintain things. The goal is to forget about your life so much so that you know that God's gotten taken care of, that you invest in the world. That you can relax and invest in what's going on in the people's lives around you. My challenge is to you, can we be a generation that passes on the courage and the power and the faith that God has demonstrated over time? Can we be a generation that says, I stand strong on the word of God and I stand on his promises just like he said, I follow his instructions. You're not going to be perfect, but this is what makes a Christian perfect. What makes a Christian perfect is that when we fall, we still get back and trust his word. That even in my fall, I'm okay because he told me nothing shall separate me from his love. And I get up confidently with that every day. I make mistakes. I mess them up pretty bad sometimes, but I can't get down on myself. Because that's to deny the promise. He will never leave you or forsake you. I stand on this promise. And I'm suggesting to you today that it's time for us to get some courage. And pull ourselves out of the rut of past apathy and whatever else might keep us complacent or keep us fearing. We got young people in this church that are gifted and talented and has awesome abilities. We should be trying to figure out how to partner with them and launch them into their future and go out and change our communities and finding more of those young folks. We can't just come to church every Sunday and let this be it. It's not good like this. It's only good when we apply the word to the plan of God. So I just want to pray today. I don't know where you're at. I'm praying at the altar because every time I study the word of God, I want to be moved by it. I don't want to just hear it. And this is just a step of faith if you want to be moved. They're going to sing. We're just going to stand and listen and let God talk to our heart for a second and then we'll pray. You're welcome to join. If you don't want to join here, that's okay. It's all on you. Every man persuaded in his own mind. I just want to see God do something different, radically different in 2019. Thank you, Father, that your love for us is very clear and visible. You not only demonstrated the down through time, but you paused time and gave your son to die for us. As the first seed of them that sleep, you raised him from the dead to give us an assurance that not even death could stop us. Lord, as life happens to us and around us, we would not lose hope, we would not faint. We know that you have all power in your hands. You extended your word to us that we might know you. You gave us your promises that we might trust you. 
You gave us your instructions that we might follow you. As we stand today as individuals and collectively as a generation, we praise you for your will, that it would be done on earth as it is in heaven, that you start with each life right here, God. Break poverty, break lack of knowledge, break pain, cure loneliness, call out of darkness, restore hope, expand our imaginations, give us vision, restore our courage, help us to know and to believe, give us a responsibility to go the extra mile. For Lord, we know that if we follow your instructions and cooperate with you, nothing is impossible. You told us, God, when we look upon our lives, there are some things with men, they would be impossible. But with you, nothing would be impossible. Stretch our faith. So we begin to conquer and overcome like never before, God. You have the power to do in the 21st century what you've done centuries before. You told us the only question is whether you'd find faith. Help us not to get caught up in the things that hinder us, the things we think we know, the experiences we've had. You said you want to do a new thing. We permit you today, starting in our thinking, Break our barriers. Show us a new thing. Realign our priorities. Help us to understand that you first and your kingdom is our priority. You promised us you would care for all of our needs because you're not just God who created. You're not just God who judges. You're not just God the righteous one but you are our father. You say it as a father, you care. You see our needs. And before we could call you, you would answer. And Lord, help us to trust that. I speak against worry and fret and lack and shortage and short-sightedness. And God, we add to our faith that you may demonstrate your unfailing power through this little church in Lacey, Washington. You choose the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. You choose base things to bring down the mighty. Father, we recognize our size. We know our physical limits. But according to your word, we are just right for a miracle. We are just right for what you want to do. We don't claim to know too much, but we do know you. You can expand us. You can enlarge us. You can empower us. Your only requirement is that we trust you. Now I throw down my allegiance to everything. I throw down, God, 
everything that has bound me and limited me. I throw down, God, everything that exalts itself against the knowledge of Christ. Father, we count all of those things that we've accomplished and seen and done in our lives as dawn. And we hold on to the most important thing. You are the only immutable thing. Heaven and earth may pass away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. You are expressed in your word, in your promises, and in your instructions. Help us to hold fast to those and teach others to do the same. Now heal in God throughout this congregation. You know those who need it. It is a sign of our power and trust in you when we come out of sickness and disease. So right now, Father, by faith in Jesus Christ, I pray for a healing miracle. Breathe over this church. Show your authority. Show your authority. We will testify of your goodness and declare your glory to all generations. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Thank you for listening to City Life Church Podcast. 